Let us pray. Lord, as your scripture is read and proclaimed this day, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts, our minds, and our very lives may be transformed by your holy word. Thank you for your gift of scripture, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about hospitality, and the week before that we talked about evangelism. This is all part of our series on the fruitful practices of a congregation. How we, as the body of Christ, the church, can live out God's dream for us. Well, today we're going to talk about another fruitful practice of congregations, and that is worship. How many of you have ever been to a Christian worship service? Raise your hand. If any of you didn't raise your hand, um, see me after the service, and I will see if I can't point you where you are supposed to be today. Of course. We all have a general idea of what a Christian worship service is and what it should be about and how things go. Now, not every church does worship the same way. Which, sometimes, if we have only experienced worship one way, can be a little bit surprising. Me, growing up, United Methodist, when I became a pastor, I assumed that every single church did worship just like my home church of Grove City United Methodist. Well, guess what? Not every church who call themselves United Methodist do things the proper way as they do at Grove City United Methodist. <laughs> For instance... Are you aware that you all don't do the doxology correctly? Yes. Doxology I grew up with is not doxology. The words are pretty much the same, but the music is totally not the same. I never knew this until I went to my very first church, very first Sunday there, very first Sunday as, as, as a pastor. We go to do the doxology. I never looked that there were two different doxologies in our hymnal. Never occurred to me. The words are pretty much the same, but the music, no. The organist starts playing this song, and I'm thinking to myself, she's messing up. <laughs> it was just different. Churches do worship in different ways. Yesterday we had uh, our special session of annual conference. We had it up at Ginghamsburg, which is um, a United Methodist church. But they are very on the cutting edge of contemporary things. And uh, they have like uh, the strobe lights and the whole light 
thing and they have the drummer in the box that I always call them with the, with the lights. I, I was sort of disappointed that the box didn't raise up and turn a la Tommy Lee, but, um, uh, you know, um, worship can be different, right? For, for some of you, you are, are, are used to your pastor looking like this. How many of you doubted that I actually owned one of these? Huh? <laughs> Haven't worn this in about a year. Had to pull this out of my closet this morning, a little bit on the wrinkled side. and Probably should have taken it when I got in a press this week. But then there are other uh, churches who uh, uh, their, their, their pastors look a little different, right? Like this. Right? They got jeans on and... Right? Oh, thank you. Right? And then I left my sunglasses at home. I, I borrowed my son Owen's cool sunglasses I was going to wear. But there are uh, uh, some pastors that, you know, uh, uh, are, are, are super cool. And they got, like, like the little beanie and the hat and the... And the skinny jeans, and, and I was going to wear a pair of skinny jeans today, but I figured, you all don't need that. You get the point. Sometimes you can take sermon illustrations way too far. But Christian worship doesn't always look the same way, and it doesn't have to be. Passionate worship is what's important. I love this quote, and it's, it's attributed to John Wesley, although I doubt that he probably actually ever said this, but he said, get on fire for God, and men and women will come to see you burn. <laughs> Which has often been shorted to, catch on fire and people will come watch. His point is, is if you are on fire for Jesus, people will come to hear what you have to say. And it doesn't matter if you have a robe or you have on cool jeans. It doesn't matter if you have a shirt and a tie or a t-shirt on. If you are on fire for Jesus, people will come to see what you're doing. People will come to see and to hear about Jesus. Think about the early disciples of Christ. They went out and they preached about Jesus. They weren't doing anything particularly special. But people came to hear them because they wanted to hear about Jesus. There is a contagious quality to authentic, compelling worship, no matter what kind of music it is. It doesn't matter if you have a drummer or if you have someone awesome like Nancy. If it's authentic, people will respond. You know, passionate worship, it can be highly formal. It can be very informal. The important thing is, is an hour of passionate worship changes all the other hours of the week. So 
what does passionate worship look like? Well, first, it's a gathering that deliberately seeks to encounter God in Christ. You are coming to seek God in Christ. That's why you're coming. You're not coming to be seen. You're not coming because, because you want to impress others. You're not coming because you're being forced to. You're coming because you want to seek God through the person of Christ. It's also a, a certain graciousness and, and welcoming character in the, in the way that, that, that people speak and act and prepare. I think we've all been to worship services where everything was really nicely done, the music was really great, but you didn't really feel connected to God because there wasn't a spirit of love there. And if there's not a spirit of love, how can we really be worshiping Christ? It was all about love. In passionate worship, people expect God to be present and to speak to them a word of forgiveness, of hope, of challenge, or some sort of direction. People want to hear from God. They want the Spirit to be there and to interact with them. And that can happen in, in a, just a multitude of different ways. Something else is there is excitement. Now, when I talk about excitement, I don't mean that for a worship service to be passionate, everybody has to be jumping up and down all the time. Because let's face it, there are some people we don't want jumping up and down all the time. <laughs> Especially in here with that sloped floor. I don't want to call the squad. But an excitement in the sense that, that, that we are looking forward to what we are about to experience. We are looking forward to what is going on. And notice that I never said that for a worship service to be passionate and to be powerful and to be uh, uh, effective, it needs to be perfect. Sometimes I think those who, especially those who participate in worship, think that everything has to be perfect all the time for a worship service to be passionate and to be good. Now, I'm not saying that the choir should never practice. Although, with these awesome people, they may never need to practice because they probably sound good, just normal. They're, they're all like, nah, nah, it's not gonna happen. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes the, the sound system may cut out or, you know, the, 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 the PowerPoint may go out or something. What it means is that 
we do the best we can, right? God wants us to be diligent and excellent in everything we do. But that doesn't mean perfect. That means that we do the best we can with what we have. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, a small thing you may have heard of called COVID. I don't know if any of you heard of this. It was, it, was on, it, it was in all the news. And I, I, I was serving a, a bigger church, and then we had a little country church that, that I also served, that they needed a pastor. And the, the big church, we'd shut that down a long time ago. Everything was online. But this small church, it didn't have uh, uh, any internet connection. It, 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 it was lucky it had a bathroom. <laughs> so... We decided we were going to have worship in the parking lot on a highway. How many of you have ever had a worship service in a parking lot on a highway? Guess what happens when people drive down that highway and they see you having a worship service? They honk and they wave. A lot. I'll be preaching along and it'll be honk, honk, hey! Hey, and when the trucks come by, that's even better. <laughs> but you know what? We still had some wonderful, powerful worship experiences in that gravel driveway. Yeah, it wasn't even paved. My friends, we need to have for what we do as Christians, and that includes worship. Because without passion, worship can become dry, it can become routine, it can become predictable, and might I even say, a little bit boring. I know, I said the B word. Have you ever been to a worship service that's been kind of boring? Other than this one. Right? I've been there with you. You start counting how many tiles are in the ceiling. You start wondering how much more can the pastor ever have to say? Some of you are going, yeah, I've been there. So what can lead to a passionless worship? Well, part of it is worship that's not well-planned or doesn't make any sense. Um, um, interpersonal conflicts can sometimes uh, cause worship services to be without passion. Unkept facilities, uh, poor quality music or, or, or preaching. I'll give you a, a, a quick story about Bad preaching, um, or not bad preaching, boring preaching. Um, lovely man. Uh, we, when I was growing up, we, we had an, an associate pastor, and uh, he was at our church for 16, 17 years as an associate pastor, fully ordained elder as, a, as an associate for that long. That's a long time. And um, a sweetest man, he, he did pastoral care at our church, 
but he only preached a couple of times a year, and when he would preach, people would call the church office to get the dates so they could plan their vacations. I swear to you. Right? Only person I ever saw who preached with footnotes. I'm kidding you not. Preached with footnotes. Uh, but lovely, biggest heart person, right? So he had been there for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. Last Sunday there, he gets up to do his final sermon. And we all knew that, that this was going to be kind of boring. But, you know, he's getting ready to leave. And so we were going to be nice. And he gave the best sermon I have ever heard. I mean, not just for him, but one of the best ever. Ever. He went through all the stained glass windows, explained what they were, why they were important to him, why they should be important to us. He gets done, and my mom, I was in high school, and my mom leans over to me and goes, where in the world has that been the last decade and a half? I go, he was saving it up, mom, saving it up. Right? Or how about this one? Worship leaders who push themselves into the center of attention. Have you ever been there? Where the music person or the pastor thinks they're the reason everyone's come to see them and they want to put on a mini concert? Had, a, had this happen once, many, many years ago. We invited somebody to our church for special music and, you know, when you're in a little country church and it's just you and the piano player, you look for any, any opportunity to have somebody else show up, right? So this guy, he would come a couple times a year and he would do a mini concert and then sell his CDs after the service. Mm. And the only person I've ever known who would, he, he would sing and then he would work in stories about how great his family was. Only person who, who I've ever seen be able to sing Amazing Grace and then in that work in how beautiful his wife was, how beautiful and, and humble his daughter was, how smart his son was and how, how he was majoring in archaeology and was going to be a great archaeologist. And, and how he had turned down, down um, uh, record contracts so he could come and, 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 and preach, right? All while he would sweat and the hair dye would run down the side of his face, right? <laughs> had him come one Sunday, kid you not, uh, it, 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 it was uh, the Sunday after Christmas, because no pastor wants to preach the Sunday after Christmas. And he's doing this concert. I told him, you've got a half an hour. Because we have people that have plans to go out to dinner for like their 60th anniversary. He went on for an hour and something. I was getting ready to get up to tell him, time's up, when I finally heard him say, and that is all. And that was all for him, too. Because <laughs> remember, worship isn't about us. It's about God. The responsibility, though, for, for quality worship doesn't just reside in the pastor. It resides in all of us. We each must come prepared to participate and to be open to God. Real quick, I want to end with John Wesley's directions for singing, because he gives us directions for how we as United Methodists or, or we as Methodists should be participating in worship. All right? So 
uh, if you have a hymnal nearby, you can grab it. It's always uh, printed in, in the front of our hymnals. Uh, uh, nobody ever reads it. But do you do this when you come to worship? Directions for singing. Learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, you may learn as many as you please. There are 700-some songs in this book. You need to know all of these before you start singing to the radio. <laughs> Sing them exactly as they're printed here without altering or mending them at all. And if you've learned them any other way, unlearn them. <laughs> Nancy, we don't want to hear any of your Baptist music. <laughs> mm -mm. Sing all. Sing that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, cake it up. In other words, if you're not a good singer, tough. All right. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you're half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now or ashamed of being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. Sing modestly, though. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation so that you won't destroy the harmony. I guess we're supposed to have some sort of harmony. But strive to unite your voices together. How about the, the next one? Sing in time. Have you ever seen when we clap? I don't clap because I can't keep in time. If we're clapping, I'm looking to Terry. A couple of weeks ago, we were clapping. I'm looking at Terry. She stops clapping. I'm like, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before or stay ahead, but stay close to tune to the leading voices and move therewith as exactly as you can and take care not to sing too slow. <laughs> Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. And in order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. So just remember, we all have a part in having passionate worship. And we don't have to be perfect we just need to be sincere. No matter how we do it, it's pleasing to God if we're sincere. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Uh, and we, we honestly are here to do our best to commune with you. And we offer ourselves to you this day. Amen.